Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 10 again. It's been a few weeks since we were here, but we'll pick up in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. <clears throat> this morning we come to one of the very most familiar passages in the whole Bible, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you may not know this, but familiar passages are notoriously difficult to preach on. They're difficult because we've heard so many explanations before. They're difficult because they're familiar to us and the words no longer grab us like they did the first time we heard them. And they're difficult because alongside the familiar there are often baffling questions that we've never dealt with. So I have struggled greatly this week to try to figure out how to preach on the parable of the Good Samaritan and I simply ask you to struggle with me and to focus your attention and see what God might teach us as we work through this text. Luke 10, verse 25 to 37. Let me read it. <clears throat> On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in on oil and wine. Then he took the man to, on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy? on him and Jesus told him go and do likewise I'd like to suggest three truths which are set before us here either explicitly or implicitly the first is this the law says love God and love your neighbor the law of God says in summary love God and love your neighbor our text begins with an expert in the law addressing Jesus. It calls him a lawyer here in this text. But he was not a lawyer as we think of lawyers in our society, for there was no distinction between the religious life and the civil life of, of the people of Israel. This was a Jewish leader concerned for the administration and understanding of God's law. He was a theologian. He was a biblical scholar an expert in interpreting God's word. But according to verse 25, our expert does not come to Jesus seeking to uh, have better knowledge. He comes to 
test Jesus. He comes setting a trap for Jesus. He's asking questions not to find answers, but to try to trip Jesus up and catch him in some contradiction. Nevertheless, this man's question is the most profound question ever asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, how could that question ever be a trap to ask Jesus that question? Well, think about what Jesus' ministry has been like as we've read about it and studied it so far in the book of Luke. Jesus has been going around uh, preaching and teaching people, healing people, delivering them, saying to them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come, follow me. I've not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And to the most despicable sinners, Jesus has said, your sins are forgiven. Rise up and walk. Come follow me. In fact, in the verses immediately preceding this, Jesus has just proclaimed, no one knows the Father except the Son, and whomever the Son chooses to reveal him to. So what did this expert in the law expect Jesus to say? Probably the same kind of thing. Come follow me and you'll have eternal life. It doesn't matter what you've done, I will forgive you and give you life. Come follow me. Ah, but what about God's law? This law you knew that if Jesus answered that way, he could be accused of disregarding the scriptures. Well, Jesus doesn't answer the man, actually. He turns around and asks the man a question. He says, well, what does the law say? But how you will inherit eternal life. What does the law say? How do you read it? Jesus is turning the tables on this biblical scholar. But this man knows the right answer to that question. And indeed, for some time by his day, the, rab- the Jewish rabbis had, had summarized the law in, 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 in two things. Uh, first of all, the law has to do with love for God, with heart, soul, mind, and strength, which they got from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then the law has to do with love your neighbor as yourself, which they got from uh, Leviticus 19 verse 18. And therein they saw, the rabbis saw, a summary of the entire law, a summary with which the New Testament agrees, Jesus agrees. He, he says that several times. And so that's how the man answers. Just like the rabbis of his day answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus said, that's correct. Go and do it. And you'll live. The law says, love God and love your neighbor. It's as if Jesus is saying to this man, you want to talk about the law? I know about the law. I came to do my Father's will perfectly. I understand. I'm not ignorant about what the law says. I did not come to promote some lesser standard of righteousness. God's law is forever settled in the heavens. You're not going to find me contradicting God's word, Jesus says. And this is still true, is it not? The law still requires us to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. This is God's unchanging standard of righteousness. He wants all of our devotion, all of our strength, all of our mental powers. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, it's to be for his glory. He wants our quiet moments of solitude directed to him. 
He wants the driving motive of our life's work to be his glory. He wants us to bring every thought captive to Christ, bowing in submission to our God. And he wants us to deal with others in love with the same care we lovingly have for ourselves so that we rejoice in other people's success as much as we would rejoice in our own success. So that we address others and people's needs as diligently as we address our own needs. In short, the law demands that we love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. So Jesus gave the right answer. But this expert in the law was not satisfied. Jesus seemed to have outwitted him and turned the tables on him and come across sounding rather orthodox. How could he complain about Jesus? How could he well, spring a trap on Jesus? He had given exactly the right answer. Plus the law, when stated so bluntly, always makes us a little uncomfortable, doesn't it? So how do we respond to that? The law commands you will love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you will love your neighbors yourself. How do we respond to that? Well, actually, two kinds of responses. We'll talk about the first one first, because this is the response of this man. He sought to justify himself. Which brings us to our second point. Love your neighbor means showing mercy. Love your neighbor means showing mercy. Now, verse 29, the expert in the law responds with another question. Who's my neighbor? Now, this is a critical verse. For in verse 29, it, 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 it tells us what's driving all of this. The man wanted to justify himself. That's why he asked the question, who's my neighbor? Now, we don't use the word justify so much these days, unless you're writing a paper and you have to justify it to the left or the right or the center or something. But, or maybe we use the word justification in church. The word justify simply means to prove yourself to be right. So this Bible scholar is seeking self-justification. He's going to show that he's okay. He's going to prove that he's all right in regard to the law's demands. Now, folks, that's not an easy task in view of the law's summary we just heard. Have you always loved God with you all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength? Have you always loved every neighbor like you loved yourself? Have you loved God and your neighbor in every possible way, at every, on every possible occasion? Wow. How could we say, yeah, I'm, I'm good. So in order to justify himself, the lawyer s- seeks to get the law down to a more manageable size. That's why he asked Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? In other words, yeah, I have to love my neighbor, but who exactly are we talking about? Because we're clearly not talking about everybody. Actually, we know quite a bit about how the Jews of, of, of this man's day thought about who they owed love and mercy and care. In the ancient book of Jewish wisdom called Sirach, also called Ecclesiasticus, it was written in about 180 B. 
B.C., about 200 years before Jesus' time. We get a picture of the attitudes of the day concerning who deserves mercy and help. Let me read you a little bit of Sirach chapter 12. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread. Do not give it to them. For by means of it, they might subdue you. Then you will receive twice as much evil for all the good you've done to them. For the Most High also hates sinners and will inflict punishment on the ungodly. Give to the one who is good, but do not give to the sinner. Wow, how convenient is that, huh? So loving my neighbor means I only have to love people that I like, who like me. This is obedience light, is it not? This is much less radical than perhaps how it sounds at first when you say, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, but Jesus is going to explain that love your neighbor means showing mercy even to your enemy. So to make that point, Jesus tells this parable that we have before us. Now, you all know the story well, so I'm not going to tell you the story again, but let me point out a few things about this parable that I, I picked up along the way, and perhaps you don't know. This incident took place, as it says, on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. That road was notorious for muggings and ambushes and robberies. The road was steep. It, it descended about 3,000 feet in 17 miles, and it winds uh, between rocks with uh, hidden caves everywhere where somebody could hide to jump you at the last moment. In fact, there were so many assaults on that road, and this is a day when it was dangerous to travel lots of roads, but there were so many assaults on that road that it was called the bloody road. And sure enough, this poor unsuspecting traveler gets mugged and robbed as he travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. They stripped him of his clothes, they took all of his possessions. They beat him within an inch of his life, and they left him for dead. But fortunately for him, he's, he's on his way to Jericho. And you may not remember this, but Jericho is one of the cities that was given to the priests and Levites to live in. You know, they didn't have a, an inheritance in the land, but they had certain cities that were given to them as a residence, and, except when they went to Jerusalem to work in the temple. And Jericho was one of the cities full of priests and Levites. Surely a priest or a Levite, the holiest people in the, in the country, will come by and help me. And sure enough, here comes a priest down the road. And he sees the man laying in the ditch, and he goes across the road and passes him by. And not long after, here comes a Levite down the road. But like the priest, he sees a man laying in the ditch and crosses the road and passes him by on the other side. Did no one care about this dying man? But then Jesus says a Samaritan came by. Now, it's impossible to overstate the animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. You remember when Jesus simply wanted to pass through their territory, the people in the village had said, no way, you're not welcome here. And they would go way around to not go through Samaria. The animosity between the Jews and Samaritans is probably about similar to the animosity between the Jews and the Muslims in the Middle East today. In fact, every morning, a pious Jewish man prayed, 
among other things. And God, thank you for not causing me to be born a Samaritan. For the Samaritans were half-breeds. They were ceremonially unclean. They practiced a distorted religion. They were the enemy. According to Sirach chapter 12, they should be shown no mercy. Ah, but the Samaritan coming down the road sees the wounded victim in the ditch who was undoubtedly a Jew, the enemy of Samaritans. And what does he do? He stops and has compassion on him. Unlike others, he cared about this man's desperate situation. He stopped and went to him. Now, you've got to understand, if there's a man laying in the ditch, obviously there are robbers in the area. It's a time to get stay on your horse and go. He stops and he goes over to check on him. And he administers first aid. He bandages his wounds. And he pours wine in his wounds as an antiseptic and oil to soothe them. And he disrupts his own journey. He picks the man up and puts him on his own donkey and takes him into town to an inn where he cares for him for the rest of the evening and overnight. And then in the morning he opens his wallet and he advances the innkeeper two days salary, whatever that is, a couple hundred bucks anyway, and says, take care of this man while I go. And whatever other costs, costs you, 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 you incur, I'll reimburse you when I come back. In short, the Samaritan did everything he could he cared for that man as he would want to be cared for if he were laying in the ditch half dead now says Jesus to the young lawyer the priest the Levite the Samaritan which of these three do you think was a neighbor to that robbed man the expert in law could not even bring himself to say the word Samaritan He only replies, the one who showed mercy? To which Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You see, Jesus never told him who his neighbor was. He only showed him what kind of neighbor God expected him to be. Or you see, love your neighbor, according to Jesus, means showing mercy even to your enemies. This expert in law had tried to trap Jesus, but he fell into his own trap. He had tried to justify himself by putting some limits on the law to make it more manageable. But rather than limit the law's demands, Jesus expands the law's demands to their fullest implication. And this is not the first time Jesus always does. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says, you've heard it was said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you're angry with your brother, you've committed murder already in your heart. You've heard it was said, to, 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 to not commit adultery. But I'm telling you, when you're looking lost, you're guilty of adultery. You've heard it was said, if you get a divorce, do the proper thing and give the right certificate. I tell you, if you, if you divorce your spouse, you're an adulterer. Jesus always expands the law to its fullest implication. He never limits it to make it easier for us to keep. He never lightens the law's demands. He only presses them to the extreme so that we might see the absolute holiness of the God before whom we stand. 
And that includes the command to love our neighbor. It means show mercy even to your enemy. So did the man successfully justify himself? Not a chance. Indeed, the scriptures tell us that no one will be justified by observing the law. We read in Galatians, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do every single thing written in the book of the law. Uh, but remember I said there are two ways we could respond. This man responded by trying to justify himself when he's met with the demands of the law. There's a second way, and that is we can cast ourselves on the mercy of Jesus and come to him. Which brings us to our third, final point. Which is simply this. By showing us mercy, Jesus transforms us. By showing us mercy, Jesus transforms us. Now what I'm about to say here is not found in this text in Luke chapter 10. It's found later in the book of Luke and certainly found all over volume 2 that Luke wrote, which we call the book of Acts. And it's the theme of the whole New Testament. So when this parable of the Good Samaritan sets us up to hear this truth, it's just too important to say, well, later on we'll get to that, but forget about it for right now. We've got to talk about it. By showing mercy, Jesus transforms us. Now, there are two things that I want to say about this. Two parts to this. Two things in view. First of all, by showing mercy to us, Jesus justifies us. Makes us right with God, that which we could not do ourselves. What the expert in the law was unable to do, Jesus does. For you see, Jesus is the only person who's ever lived who can stand before God and say, I am justified. I have kept your law perfectly. And God agrees. You remember God spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. I'm satisfied with him. But Jesus didn't just come to enjoy being right with the Father. Jesus had been right with the Father for all of eternity past. He came to rescue us because we're not right with the Father. In a very real sense, Jesus came to be the good Samaritan to us. Though we considered him our enemy, he loved us. Though it was costly for him to rescue us, cost him his life on the cross, he gave himself to us in our despair. Indeed, he didn't just pull us out of life ditch, life's ditch. He gave us everything we need for time and eternity. You see, this is what Jesus was trying to show this Bible scholar and trying to get him to understand. Dear, 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 dear man, you are the one in the ditch. You are helpless, helpless in your self-righteousness. You need a savior. And the only one that can save you is the very one you're trying to trap. Oh, stand in awe of the grace and mercy of Jesus when we were alienated and broken and helpless and dying, broken and helpless and dying. He loved us. And when we wouldn't give him the time of day, he gave himself for us. And when we could not provide for ourselves, 
He paid our debt and healed us. The expert in the law knew all about God and all about the Bible, but he had never encountered the grace of God, which was able to restore his soul. Have you? Do you know what it's like to have Jesus rescue you when you have to admit you deserve to go to hell? Do you understand how great his mercy is that you draw another breath today? More than that, that you could dare to call yourself a child of God? You see, this is why people flock to Jesus, tax collectors and public sinners and prostitutes. He was not teaching them uh, and beating them up with the law. He was, he was not treating them as their sins deserved. He was forgiving them and delivering them from sin's bondage and restoring them and welcoming them into his kingdom. And when you experience grace like that, you don't forget it pretty, very quickly. By showing us mercy, Jesus transforms us. He justifies us. He adopts us into his family. Oh, but that's not all that's going on here. There's a second thing. By showing us his mercy, Jesus then enables us to love our neighbor like he loved us. Now here's where we modern Christians go astray, I must tell you. We think that because Jesus rescued us and graciously accepted us, that that whole requirement of the law to love your neighbor doesn't apply to us anymore. We're saved by grace, we don't have to worry about that. Indeed, at the beginning of this text, when Jesus says, when the man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, what does the law say? And, and, and he tells him, and Jesus says, go do that and live. It's shocking to us, is it not? What, what, what about, except Jesus in your heart, and all, what about that? But you see, it is still God's righteous demand that we love God and love our neighbor, it is still God's righteous demand for you and for me. Now, I'm not saying that we're saved by our works. You can't be saved by your works. I'm not saying we should be self-justified. You can't be self-justified. There's not a chance of that. Give it up. Don't even try. You can't. We're saved by grace alone. But we are saved to be transformed until the we practice the same extreme mercy that Jesus practiced in regard to us. I heard Tim Keller say in this regard, real love is impossible until you understand that real love is impossible. You can't fulfill the law's requirements until Jesus transforms you by his grace. Only grace can make you a loving neighbor. But Jesus extended grace to you for just that purpose. Not to guilt you into being a better person. But to transform you 
from the inside out to conform you to himself so that in gratitude you show the same grace to other people that God has shown to you. Now that's what the New Testament clearly teaches. Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Absolute grace. Next line. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. By showing mercy, Jesus planned to transform us. Same thing he said in Romans 8. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life, has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Next line. In order that, pure grace, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. By showing us mercy, Jesus intends to transform us and make us merciful. In another place, God used the example, in fact, in several places, God used the illustration of a vine. A vine is not made alive by growing clusters of grapes. No, it grows clusters of grapes because it is alive. And that's what it was made for. But if there are no clusters of grapes, if all you see is a stick with no leaves and shrivel up branches, you can be certain the grapevine is dead. No fruit. So it is with us. We are not made spiritually alive by showing mercy to our neighbor. We show mercy to our neighbor, neighbor, because Jesus gave us new life. But if we will not show mercy to our neighbor, don't think that that shriveled up confession of ours is valid. There's no life. By showing mercy, Jesus intends to transform us. God sent his son to manifest his extreme, radical, gracious love to us, to rescue us from our situation and make us right before him, and to transform us so that we love others the way he loved us. Dear people, this is a lesson we desperately need to learn. I desperately need to learn. If you are thinking that you can keep the law well enough to be self-justified, you need a reality check. Only Jesus can justify you. You will never justify yourself. 
If you're standing on your record, you will be lost forever. You need Christ. But at the same time, if you think being saved by grace negates the law's requirement that you love your brother, your enemy, one another, you're deluded and in danger of judgment. Jesus showed grace to you to make you an instrument of his grace to others, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. If you show no mercy, Jesus says, you must not have received any mercy. That's what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 25, with which I'll close, is he gives us a little peek of judgment. I'm not going to read it, but let me just paraphrase it for you. It says, when the Son of Man, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, he will separate the flock into two groups. The, 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 the sheep and the goats. The sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And then he'll come to those on his right and he'll say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and enter into the kingdom prepared for you. For when I was hungry and I was thirsty and I was a stranger, you fed me and you gave me water and you took me in. And they'll say, when did we do that? I don't remember that. To which Jesus replies, whatever you did for the least of these my brothers, you did it for me. And then Jesus would turn to those on his left and he'll say to them, depart from me, you who are cursed, and enter the eternal fire prepared for the devil. For I was hungry, and I was thirsty, and I was a stranger, and I was in need of clothes, and I was sick, and I was in prison, and you didn't give a rip. You didn't do a thing. You didn't lift a finger. And he said, wait, 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 wait. when do we see you like that, Lord? And he said, inasmuch as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And Jesus says, then they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. The law demands that we love God and love our neighbor. Jesus explains that loving your neighbor means showing extreme mercy. And he has shown us such mercy to transform us and make us merciful. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Though it hits us right between the eyes and it makes us so uncomfortable and we don't know what to do with it. We feel such kinship with this lawyer who wants to get your law down to manageable size where we only have to love the people that we like and people that do good to us and we can just forget about everybody else. Oh, Lord, we need your grace to transform our thinking lest we be found among those on Judgment Day who claim to know you. But when you appeared in the form of their enemy or someone weak or someone in trouble, they didn't care a bit. Deliver us, Lord, from that and give us a heart of mercy. Not guilt, Lord, but gratitude for what you've done for us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.